The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. Thank you for joining us today. We're really diving into a deep topic that topic is molestation. Molestation is something that's so pervasive in all of our society all across the world. And it's a very serious topic. It does enormous amounts of damage to people's lives. And so I want to cover it on many facets having to do with children, having to do with how it affects adult lives, how to cope with it, how to work through it, and how to move on. And so we're going to move right into this. It's called Molestation into the Darkness. That's what we're calling the show today. So here's the bit of a prelude to uh, the topic. You know, molestation is by far the, the greatest percentage of physical child abuse there actually is. That, that is amazing to me. Um, I just cannot believe um, that of all the abuses of physical abuses that people do that molestation is the most pervasive. You know, it's like a cancer because once it enters a child's life, they don't understand it. Once they uh, go through that process and they find that adults are unsafe, uh, that trust is broken, their ability to attach is affected. And then all of a sudden, it just moves itself through that child's life all the way through adulthood, affecting their sexuality, affecting their their, uh, interactions with people, their insecurities. And um, coping with being molested as a child can change an adult's life like a a silent killer. It it almost takes over. Uh, It can if that adult doesn't move beyond it. And uh, obviously, there's lots of treatment around molestation and uh, therapists all over the world treat this, but it's something that uh, can either be effectively gotten rid of or coped with or it just lingers. And so the best thing a person can do is seek somebody that they feel comfortable with in the profession and work through this particular topic, you know, because it shapes a person's character, it creates sexual confusion, and how attached a person is socially, their parenting, how they are with their partner and their communication. It, it's, it's just a really scary thing. So here's, let's just get started. How do we determine a sexual predator? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to prospectively determine who a sexual predator might be. You know, someone who looks creepy is no more of an offender than a respectable person in this in this particular topic as well, just because someone seems uh, respectable does not eliminate them um, as a child molester. And actually, it's often those people who are closest to the children and are trusted 
ends up being the ones that offend and do these horrible things. Pedophiles are often placed into one of four categories, and it's very important uh, to understand that. The, the first is, is my, my, my sopid. These offenders are interested in molesting and sexually abusing children because they want to physically harm them. These are uh, sadistic people. They enjoy hurting children, and uh, they are a large category of the sexual offenders. The second type is the regressed child offender. Now, here's this, how this one operates. This individual generally has relations with adults, but often uh, but offends against a child because of a stressful event in the offender's life that makes them seek someone that they can control. And I leave you with that word control. That's, that's what they want. They want to have control, therefore they like the younger um, child. And then there is the fixated child offender. In, in, in se- it, they're just stuck in this early stage of psychosexual development. Um, they have little to no activity with people their own age. They're often uncomfortable around adults. They love children and do not want to hurt them, so they rationalize that abuse is actually affection. And that's kind of sadistic, too, and it's kind of scary. And I think if you think of some certain celebrities, uh, one who's particularly passed away was accused of many of these things, that they actually think that their interactions with children sexually are acts of affection. Finally, there is the naive pedophile, and it's the individual who, for all intentions and purposes, has no sense of right or wrong. The offender is often mentally retarded. They're unstable. They do not comprehend the rules of normal society. Therefore, they just throw it out, and they look at a child as a sexual creature just like them. Now, here's some techniques of pedophiles, and and based on various research, they all bring in the average age of a child molester of around 34. Updated stats indicate that 25% are over 40. A typical uh, modus operandi is to befriend the parents, offer to babysit the victims. They're attracted to situations which children are easily attainable and might even set them up, and they gradually insert themselves into the victims' lives. Once they achieve success, the most common initial contact is accidental touching or cuddling. This, of course, allows the offender to be close to a child without him or her suspecting that anyone is out of the ordinary is occurring or anything strange is occurring. And if caught, it's easy for to say it was a misunderstanding. But that is a modus operandi technique of a sexual predator. Unfortunately, many pedophiles also use coercion frightening children into compliance with threats against a child or their family. They might also use bribes to ensure silence or gain consent. In either case, pedophiles will typically misrepresent normal moral standards to gradually seduce children into believing that nothing bad is happening to them. They may also try to shame them into silence. And this is pervasive. This happens every day minute by minute, throughout the course of our life. It's important to understand that pedophiles often go undetected because they're so nice, they know how to get people to trust them. And so it's, it goes against our instinct. These, these people, 
that operate as pedophiles, these predators, um, operate amongst us and gain trust and have good communication skills and are smooth and uh, especially love children and especially make themselves available to be trusted to be with children. And boy, I tell you, you, you know, for these people that hire unlicensed daycare workers or babysitters, you got to be so careful out there what you're getting, uh, especially in a day and age where people are unsure of themselves sexually in the younger years, especially a lot of kids in their younger years, people in their 20s, 30s are still not determined sexually. And you've just got to be so careful what you expose your children to. So let's try to understand this predator, the sex offender, the pedophile. You know, this is paramount to public safety. If you don't understand it, then you're not going to be able to protect children or yourselves. And if it's a child that's listening, I hope you can protect yourself from hearing this. But it's equally important to know the types of children that pedophiles target. Molesters will often choose victims who are shy, vulnerable, needy, as well as those deemed socially troubled or isolated. So if they're an awkward child and they isolate, that is a very strong target for a pedophile because they know how such children desperately seek a friend and that loneliness in childhood can drive them to the wrong person. And so we have to be so careful. Unfortunately, such children are submissive, inhibited, and they're unlikely to give the offender a hard time if they force them into a sexual situation. So, you know, this passiveness in our children is not something we should take lightly. It doesn't mean that it's a bad quality, but it does mean that they're a magnet towards these molestation-type people. And we have to educate our children as to what is right and wrong. We have to make sure to have those conversations as adults to our children about the type of people to be aware of and that you need to talk to mommy or daddy or guardian, whoever is is supervising that child or over you know working as the guardian of that child's life it is so important that that dialogue be ongoing especially with these shy children and i think actually all children in in truth you know they they also like to uh operate you know with a child that can keep a secret if they're bribed they they really check to see if bribery is something that they will uh, abide to. You know, if they buy them something or if they offer them a chance to play a game, if they give them candy, what, whatever it is, if they're susceptible to that, then the molester will continue to try to uh, close in on that child. You know, with, when such sexual scandals emerge, people always want to know how the abuse could have gone on for so long without anyone knowing. And as a matter of fact, it is so strange to me, but... It happens so often because in families, oftentimes the uncle, the cousin, somebody, somebody, uh, you know, aunt, uncle, whatever, somebody that's close to the child may molest. And then all of a sudden, um, the family or the parent actually denies the child, tells them they're not telling the truth, and actually embarrasses, humiliates, guilts, and shames them into not talking about it anymore. And, and it's so sad that that happens. Um, parents do not realize that this damage is probably the greatest damage that will happen to their child unless the parents are such egregious people. 
that this damage is likely going to stay with them the rest of their life. And then for them to deny that it happened is even greater. And it's horrible. Um, but people try to prevent, uh, protect family secrets and don't want to deal with the controversy that this kind of thing can bring. Um, since they don't fit a stereotype as molesters, it's easier for people around them uh, to brush off the red flags because they're nice people and they have you know respectable people skills and people trust them and I've never heard that about them and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sorry, folks. People have secret lives. They do secret things. They do have thing, attractions and things that they don't talk about that suddenly when they come forward, uh, you're in shock. And so, you know, you've got to be aware. You've got to be in communication with your children about this kind of stuff. So here's, um, you know, here's some facts. A predator doesn't look like a boogeyman. If they did, it would be easy to stay away from them. Child molesters are cunning experts at deception. If they weren't, they'd never get away with their despicable acts. Here's another thing. Molesters are typically not strangers. In fact, 90% of the time, they have a relationships with their victims and the family. Here's another fact. They use deliberate tricks and ploys to gain a child or our trust. That's their first step. Once they've accomplished that, they can proceed with the second step, which is sexually victimize their target. Now, who are they? They're relatives, family friends, who spends a lot of time at your home, a married neighbor, a coworker, cousins, other siblings, the ice cream man, the teacher, the nice old man who lives next door and seems so harmless, the soccer coach, and uh, somebody who uh, takes special interest in one particular child above all others. Someone who works very hard at arranging alone time with your child, making it seem like they're doing you a favor. Now, they also look for parents who enjoy their children being away from them, who want to have me time. Uh, They also target parents who have alcohol and drug issues because they're so out of touch with their children. And the predator is doing them a favor, basically, by paying attention to their child because that attention is something that the parent really rarely gives. Now, what else? Uh, the, The predators look for a vulnerable target, a child in need from extra attention, affection, one who seems shy, like we said earlier, more of a loner. That's what they want. What else? An opportunity. For example, they will engineer an opportunity that like social gatherings, most adults will chat for a few minutes with the kids, and then they turn their attention to the other adults for conversation. But if all grown-ups are in the kitchen and Uncle Bob wants to prefer to stay in the living room with the kids playing Twister, pay attention to that red flag. How do they do it? By using things that kids love as bribes or gifts, toys, video games, computer gadgets, extravagant gifts. You know, these things are so important to children in this day and age, especially young children. Mom and dad can't afford to get you that new Wi-Fi game. Come on over to my place and you can play it there. You're not allowed to watch a certain TV show at home. You can watch it at my house and with me. A child molester is an expert at relating to kids, speaking their language, and working very hard to be one of the gang. And so, once again, I I highlight these things so that we understand who these people are. Now, we're going to talk about what you can do. 
you know, because no one wants to go through life uh, distrustful of everyone. And I don't want all you folks to end up leaving the, leading this paranoid life that everybody is a sexual predator. But there are these cues that I've given you that you do want to be aware of. Uh, um, you don't have to be distrustful, but smart parents know that there are certain red flag behaviors that are usually present when someone is grooming for their own devious purposes. They're grooming a child. And it's our job to be aware and alert to certain behaviors and those who interact with our kids. If you or your child become aware of the following red flags, and I'm going to give you, once again, I'm going to give you some more red flags, then you want to become aware of that and have one-on-one alone time with your child to intercept the grooming process before it feeds itself into actually a molestation. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're covering a very deep topic of molestation. Thanks for listening. Come right back. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. We're going to talk some more about red flag behaviors and warning signs uh, for a molester trying to target or groom your child. You know, you want to look at someone who repeatedly ignores social, emotional, or physical boundaries or limits. Or someone who singles out a child as a special friend lavish them with gifts, flattery, 
developing an age-inappropriate relationship with that child. That is a predator in motion. And so not everybody that does that has bad intentions, but I can certainly tell you that that is the behavior of a groom, uh, grooming uh, pedophile. So you want to put that person on a red flag. That doesn't want, mean you want to prosecute them, but what you certainly want to do is be very, very leery and very, very aware of their time spent with your child, especially their interactions with your child. Okay, how determine if a child has already been molested? Well, first of all, you all need to become very aware and have available the phone number to Child Protective Services in your local area. Um, That is a phone number you should have in handy at all times and have it in your phone because you may suspect someone is a child is being abused You may suspect your own child is being abused, and Child Protective Services is a very powerful tool to go out and investigate and conduct a very thorough uh, investigations into what's going on with the child. They take this topic extremely seriously. Now, here's some determinations and cues from your child that something strange has happened. See if your child seems unusually secretive. If your child is normally open, exuberant, suddenly exhibits shy and secretive behavior, this could be a sign that something's wrong. In many cases, children feel shame, embarrassment, confusion about what's going on. And since they don't know how to express their feelings, they keep it to themselves. I mean, this is a very confusing situation for them. Sexuality is such a foreign thing to children, and and it's... uh, you know, they know it's there, but they don't know what it's about. They don't know, you know, they just don't know. And there's a lot of naivete about it. So you want to pay attention if your child seems quieter than usual. A child or, or more secluded or, or stays in their room or doesn't socialize with their friends that they used to, even if they only had a couple. Um, that is extremely important. A child may become quiet for reasons other than the occurrence of molestation, by the way. Uh, such as being bullied, that is another sign that something bad's going on. Bullying has almost the same reaction in a child as does the molestation. Also, um, if 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 uh, they're going through uh, parents like are going through a divorce, that can also cause a shift in the child's behavior because they're going through guilt and shame because people may know their parents and all suddenly their life is uh, being torn apart and they're usually caught in between the parents is bickering with each other. If they're lucky enough to have mature parents, then they will have two people that actually focus on their children's lives. That, unfortunately, is the minority of the cases out there. Um, look for regression in younger behaviors. In, 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 if, if your child suddenly begins acting like a little kid and they've acted their age normally and then now suddenly they're acting like a little girl or a little boy that's high alert. Something strange is going on. If you can rule out other factors that could cause this change, such as bullying uh, or, or another form of stress, it might be a sign of molestation. And that's very serious topic you want to tackle. And if you can't have these conversations with your children, find a child therapist that can. So they have many techniques, many play therapies, many forms of finding the ways to communicate with your children. Very important to go that direction. You know, here, here's a few examples of behaviors to watch for. And, and this is uh, very common in uh, children that are going through molestation. 
or have gone through it, and that is bedwetting um, after age that is uh, appropriate. So let's say that they uh, stop bedwetting at four, something like that, and then suddenly at age nine, they're bedwetting again. Well, that is a very strong sign that there's something very bad happening. And the other thing is uh, kids that poop their pants, you know, that is um, horrible. But the reason that they do this, and it's a subconscious reason, and you need to understand this, is because they don't feel safe when they're sleeping. And so what they do is they make themselves dirty by bedwetting or by pooping in the bed. They're basically creating a defense to make them unattractive and suddenly, even if the molester is around, they won't uh, molest because they're grossed out by the poop or the pee. And so that is the defense mechanism, the natural defense mechanism of a child who feels insecure and feels like something horrible is going to happen. Also, throwing tantrums and showing aggression for no reason, just suddenly out of the blue, they start throwing tantrums, just little things that trigger them. Uh, that, that didn't normally trigger them, that is a strong sign that uh, there is something going on, especially if you don't, you're like, what in the world are you doing this for? What's, what's happening? Well, take that as a red flag that something traumatic has happened to your child, and that's why all of a sudden this kind of behavior is coming forward. Also, clinging to you and crying when you have to depart for dropping off the child at school or daycare If they are throwing a temper tantrum because they feel insecure, that is a good sign that, hey, it's not a good sign. It's a strong sign that something disruptive has happened in their life. Uh, Once again, it could be bullying. It could be the molestation. And so we have to pay attention. The other thing is nightmares and other sleeping problems. You know, most children experience nightmares. They have insomnia every once in a while. So a few nights of poor sleep are probably nothing to worry about. However, if your child has regular nightmares, cries when you leave the room at night, is unable to fall asleep in his or her bedroom, this should be a cause for alarm for you. If your child does not talk well to you, get a therapist once again. Let them know you're concerned. They are mandated reporters and they can help you. Watch for inappropriate play behaviors. Watch the way your child plays with toys and other kids, and don't dismiss it if you notice something unusual. For example, a child who is being molested might touch a doll or a toy inappropriately or exhibit this behavior towards another child. A child might also use sexual words or phrases that they've never been taught. You're like, where did you get this? Well, that's a red flag. It's normal for young children to touch their privates, okay? Naturally, they're very curious about their body and they want to explore it. But if they seem to be exhibiting adult behaviors while doing so, masturbating, you know, children don't touch their private parts for pleasure. This is a cause for alarm. If they're teaching, touching their private parts for pleasure, something strange is going on. And we're talking about children, they're young children before puberty, Also, you want to watch your child's personality changes. If your child is normally happy and talkative, then if there is a personality shift and it's not just a day, it's something that's ongoing, 
that's telling you something is going on. Also, watch their reaction to people's and to people and places. You know, does your child exhibit fear or signs of discomfort when they're around certain people or places? If your child runs and hides, falls silent, begins to cry around a certain person, that should be a warning sign. You know, some children are are uh, naturally shy, and that's okay. But if this is an out-of-ordinary fear and it's, in a, it's inappropriate for the particular person or situation, that tells you that there's something deeper going on there. You know, uh, you, you want to see if your child demonstrates a particular aversion to a place like school, piano lessons, a relative's house, so on. These kind of aversions that they are suddenly developing should tell you that something strange is happening. You also want to look for physical signs. You know, physical signs of sexual abuse are rare because perpetrators often don't want to leave a trace. (laughs) However, it's important to know physical signs of abuse so that you can recognize them right away if you see them. Now, here's some physical signs of a child being abused. Uh, Pain, discoloration, bleeding, or discharge of the mouth, genitals, or anus. Pain during urination and bowel movements and bruising around the genital areas. Many molesters don't understand how delicate children can be and how easy they bruise. And so sometimes if you find these signs, and they're mysterious signs, the first thing you want to do is get your child checked out, and the next thing is to get them to a therapist. Also, you want to understand normal versus abnormal sexual behavior. You know, for example, uh, zero to five child age includes... uh, You know, using childish language to talk about body parts, showing curiosity about how babies are made, touching or rubbing their genitals, have curiosity about their genitals. These are normal behaviors. You know, abnormal behaviors are knowing what to do with those things, and that's what you want to look for. So here's how to communicate to your child. You know, help your child feel safe and talking. The subject of abuse is very difficult to children and adults to discuss. It is important to do an environment to be in an environment that feels safe to them. Don't confront them in an environment that is foreign to them. Be somewhere that is safe and comfortable so they can feel like it is a place where they can talk. Wait for a time when you and your child don't have anywhere that you need to be. And pick a place like a family kitchen or a den. Let your child know that you want to ask him or her some questions. And believe me, follow what I'm telling you, how to communicate to a child to understand what's going on with them. And that no matter what the answer is, that they're not going to be in trouble. That is critical. Do not bring up the subject of abuse in front of anyone you don't trust completely. Don't bring it up in front of anyone you might suspect of abuse, including members of the child's immediate family. Here's another tip. It's important to be absolutely non-judgmental and reassuring throughout the entire discussion. It is so critical. So many parents get so overreactive, and it's understandable because the concept of something like this happening to your child is overwhelming. It's horrible, and uh, you know it's going to rock your world. But at the same time, you've got to be the adult and you've got to keep it calm. You know, it's, 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 do not, you don't want to be dismissive or try to lighten things up or you don't want to express your anger 
even if it's anger at your situation and it's not your child, the child will take that as anger towards them and they'll feel guilt and shame. So what you want to do is keep yourself calm, straight, without tone, and try to just gently talk to them and be very calm with them. Ask if anyone has been touching them inappropriately. When your child is feeling comfortable, bring up the subject in a gentle but direct way. You know, ask whether anyone has touched your child in a way that's not appropriate. Use the words for you and your child normally use to describe parts of the body. Use language that they understand um, when you're talking about how they're going to be touched. And something with smaller children is, is to take a, a, like a stuffed animal and, uh, Ask them if has anybody touched you, like in the penis, or, you know, in the private parts, and the, where where the breasts might be, the neck. Has anybody touched you? Know just just demonstrate through using the doll, and that way the child can associate what's uh, right and wrong, and then tell you and communicate because they're talking about an object and not themselves. If your child says yes, encourage them to tell you more. Keep asking questions in a non-judgmental way. Note that sometimes sexual molestation doesn't leave a negative impression. And using words like, did someone hurt you or did someone touch you in a bad way, may not resonate with the child because they may not have experienced something that they perceive as a negative experience. So be more specific about your questions. You know, also you want to ask children about uncharacteristic behaviors you're noticing. For example, you know, you could say that you've noticed your child seems to be afraid when you go to after school care or when a certain person comes to visit. If your child has been acting secretive, shy, aggressive, ask why. Be specific about those behaviors and ask your child to tell you what's provoking them. You know, you also want to discuss the concept of secrets with your child. You know, if you attack that, because that's one thing that molesters tend to do, they want the child to keep secrets, you want to ask them about secrets and uh, what the concept is and what is a secret. Sometimes an an abuser will make the child promise to keep what happened a secret, perhaps even threatening the child to keep quiet. And if your child tells you he or she has been told to keep a secret, let let tell a secret and that they will not get in trouble for telling. That means let them tell the secret to you and they won't get in trouble. That is critical for you to do. Um, once again, it's got to be safe. Also, you want to tell your child he or she can always come to you. Above all, it's important to help your child feel safe, unjudged when they talk to you. Tell your child that no matter what, You want to help and keep them safe from harm. And if you have a trusting relationship with your child, they'll be more likely to come to you in the event that that abuse does occur. And that is critical. Now, we're going to talk about the after effects of sexual assault, sexual abuse, and then we're going to talk about how to work through it in your adult life. So keep listening. Thanks for listening to Absurd Psychology. I'll see you in a moment. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856. 
or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bill could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. Now, what we're going to talk about, about as we're talking about this topic of molestation, we're going to get more into the adult factors and the effects of sexual molestation. You know, it is a personal and destructive crime. It affects on you and your loved ones, can be psychological, emotional, physical, or all they can be brief in duration and last a long time. You know, it is important to remember that there is not one normal reaction to sexual molestation or abuse. Therefore, your individual response is going to differ depending on your personal circumstances. Now, what we're going to talk about are some of the things that fall out after a sexual molestation or a sexual assault. Depression. There are many emotional and psychological reactions that victim of rape and sexual assault may experience. One of the most common is depression. The term depression can be confusing, you know, since many symptoms are experienced by people as normal reactions to events. But at some point or another, everyone feels sad or blue. This also means that recognizing depression can be difficult since the symptoms can easily be attributed to several causes because life itself can be very depressing. You know, some of these symptoms that we want to see in ourselves and and challenge ourselves with that are left behind after molestation, assault, rape, is prolonged sadness and unexplained crying spells. Uh, Significant change in weight or appetite. Loss of energy or persistent fatigue. Significant change in sleep patterns. And guys, this may take place over years As a matter of fact, many females and males that experience molestation or assault in childhood will actually have weight issues. 
And they do that once again, just like the pooping and peeing of children. It's almost like a defense mechanism. Uh, they don't want to be perceived as a vulnerable sexual object to a predator. And therefore, they um, shape their body in a way that is not sexual. And that way they feel safer. Significant change in sleep patterns will happen. And these sleep patterns is insomnia. They may sleep too much. They may have fitful sleep. This may happen over a long period of life. And it may actually be the way they cope with the, uh, the assault or the uh, molestation. Also, loss of interest and pleasure and activities that they previously enjoyed Um, social withdrawal, feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, guilt may persist over a lifetime, Um, pessimism or indifference, Uh, unexplained aches and pains like headaches and stomachs. These are called somatic issues. Inability to concentrate and indecisiveness. A very decisive child may end up being a very indecisive adult simply because they don't even know who they are sexually as a person. They feel like a victim. They, they feel like there's no justice or fairness. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about what life is about. Um, there's also sometimes thoughts of death or suicide because by being molested or raped or uh, assaulted, they became an object, and by becoming an object, that is very hard for a human being to comprehend or understand that their life had no significance to this other person, that they were used. And uh, that feeling can be detrimental to them, and so these kind of thoughts are lingering. You know, it, by the way, if you, if you do have suicidal thoughts of any kind, and it's so important, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, this is a national phone number. It's 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. That's uh, uh, talk is the last uh, four digits. You know, depression can affect people at any age, gender, race, ethnicity, religion. It is, it's not a sign of weakness, but people look at it that way. And it's something that someone can make a person... Uh, very uh, insecure and sad, and it's not something they can just snap out of, and a lot of people think they should, but they, they oftentimes can't. Also, you know, let's look at another thing that then we talked about just a minute ago, but suicide. Suicide is something that persists in the mind, and it actually does have uh, a, a pervasiveness in people that have been molested, assaulted, or raped. Um, some survivors of sexual assault may go get so depressed that they think about ending their own life. And uh, if that happens, it's so important that they seek help. You've got to seek help in, in professional ways, and you've got to seek help with support systems. You know, if you've already taken steps, you know, and you can't avoid harming yourself, call 911. If you can't remember any number, call 911. And if you're worried that a loved one is contemplating suicide, it's okay to ask them about it directly. Suicide experts say that asking someone about suicidal thoughts will not lead them to consider suicide if they're not already contemplating it. You know, effects of uh, adult survivors of childhood sexual assault are many. And, and there are uh, so many reactions and one of the, the, the problems that people have when they've been sexually assaulted is setting limits and boundaries. Uh, because their boundaries were invaded at a young age and uh, the, 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 by someone they trusted or depended on, they may have trouble understanding 
that you have the right to control what happens to you as an individual. That means they have control. They have the ability to set limits and boundaries. But at that time in childhood, they didn't. And so they have a very confused lesson. Also, many have memories and flashbacks, and that needs to be respected. And not all these memories and flashbacks are completely accurate. You know, there's no accuracy test on their, those things, but they need to be talked about and processed, and it's best to do that in a confidential setting like therapy. You know, anger. As a child, you know, you know, your anger was powerless and had little to no effect on the reactions of your abuser. You know, for this reason, you, not, you may not feel comfortable, uh, confident that your anger is going to be safe. You know, we, what we have to understand is this anger may be something that they bottle up and become passive and aggressive. That means they hold it in, they hold it in like a teapot, and then eventually it blows and they are off the hook. Guilt, shame, and blame. These people carry a lot of guilt, shame, and blame. They live in this because they don't understand what they did to uh, cause the abuse and why they didn't stop the abuse. Um, or they may... Uh, have been silent surrounding the abuse, and that led to feelings of shame. And it's important to understand this adult who may have been abused by an authority should be held accountable. And then later in life, that person may still be around, and you want to hold them accountable. And that's why CPS should be called, because if you were molested as a child, sure as heck, if this person is around children, they're molesting other children too and just passing it on and on and on. Also, grieving and mourning should be uh, is something that these adults carry, and and what that is is they they grieve the loss of their childhood, and they leave they 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 uh, their childhood experiences are now all of a sudden colored by an adult's experience that is very serious and very strange, and they uh, feel very insecure uh, carrying that around. Also, trust is a huge issue with people who have been molested. They tend to carry around uh, trust issues, and if they can't trust anybody, if they can't trust themselves, and they feel like they can't trust themselves because they didn't stop it, even though it's irrational, uh, the deal is is that that trust means that they're going to have a lot of arguments in their relationships because all arguments in a relationship have to do with trust issues. And if you can't trust yourself, you're going to argue with the world. Coping skills all of a sudden... Um, you know, they have, uh, they develop skills uh, to cope with it, and some of these are healthy, and uh, some of these are unhealthy. You know, uh, drinking, drug abuse, promiscuous sexual activity is not healthy. Maybe uh, being overly enthusiastic about biking or running or, or doing some things may be healthy, but they may be out of bounds, and that's kind of an OCD type of thing, but it's actually a coping mechanism. Also, self-esteem and isolation. You know, low self-esteem is a result of all negative messages you received and internalized from your abusers. Um, the deal is to rationalize self-esteem and to solve it is to, number one, learn how to take compliments. Learn how to say thank you when someone gives you a compliment without judging their motive. The secondary thing is say no to things that hurt you. If Something is not good for your life, say no to it. It doesn't have to take a lot of energy or effort. Just don't do it. It may be for you, but it's not for me. You know, and, and by doing that, by setting those boundaries, we're helping ourselves. Also, uh, headaches, migraines, stomach difficulties, hot cold flashes, grinding teeth, 
sleep disorders. These are things that parents, will, adults will carry into their adult life and, uh, and as, as issues. Okay, if you're having flashbacks, you know, if you're having an actual trauma, and uh, they're usually mild or brief, and they usually have, they pass. And so you need to keep that in mind as a sense of hope, but you want to get grounded. The first thing is to do is sit straight up and put both feet on the floor. This will help you feel grounded, and that means that you're not vulnerable. Be in the present. It can be helpful to remind yourself that the event you are reliving happened in the past. You are now in the present. The actual event is over, and you've survived. So that means if there is something in your room that is present, you want to ground yourself with that. Also, breathing. Focus on your breathing. If you're having flashbacks, the breathing is incredible because that gives you lots of oxygen to the brain. It relaxes your brain, and it also gives you something to focus on outside of the flashback. The other thing is to pay attention to your surroundings. And, and that is another way to feel like you're in the present and that you're safe. Uh, also, there's some self-soothing that you can do, like wrap a blanket, to, uh, drink some tea, drink some coffee. Also, um, it takes time to recover. You're not crazy. You know, this is a normal reaction. These flashbacks, um, and they're scary. So, you know, try to normalize yourself. Try to do normal things after a flashback to try to help yourself feel more grounded. The other thing is to take care of yourself. You know, to recover after a flashback, reach out to loved ones or a counselor, somebody that will be supportive and assist you with those memories. You know, um, rape and trauma um, come with phases. And the first phase is acute phase. And this goes for children and adults alike. And so we're talking more about rape, more about assault. And it may have happened in your teenage life. It may have happened in your early childhood. But there's the acute phase. And this occurs immediately after the assault and usually lasts a few days to uh, several weeks. In this phase, you can have many reactions, but they typically fall into three different categories. One is the express when you're open emotionally. Another is controlled when you appear to be without emotion. You act like nothing happened and everything is fine. And then there is the one where you're just kind of in a daze, and that's the shock disbelief when you react with a strong sense of disorientation. The next phase is an outward adjustment phase, and this happens after trauma like this. And you, you, you try to restore your normal life, but inside you're still suffering from considerable turmoil. And so some of the things we do is minimize. Pretend that everything is fine, convincing yourself it could have been worse. Uh, dramatize. Well, we cannot stop talking about it. It dominates your life. It becomes the only memory in your life. And then the uh, suppression, you refuse to discuss the explanation. You analyze what happened and, and what you did and what the rapist was thinking, and you go into that into deep and dark details. And also there's flight, and that's where you try to escape the pain, uh, moving, changing jobs, changing appearance, changing relationships. And then finally, after trauma, we enter into, hopefully, the resolution phase. And this usually takes therapy. The assault is no longer the central focus of your life. While you may recognize that you'll never forget the assault, the, the pain and the negative outcomes lessen over time. And often you'll begin to accept it as a part of your life and choose to move on. That is critical. 
we do not want to live a life with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is a disorder that will cause us enormous damage. You know, as children, we're, we're just beginning to conceptualize the world by organizing experiences and categories. You see a two-year-old run up, a do- run up to a dog and say, doggy. And then they see a cat and they don't have a schema for the cat. So they say, doggy. <laughs> Mom says, kitty. But every, everything on four legs is doggy until the jo- a, a child develops more categories. Well, the category for child abuse is like that. If they have no point of reference... Um, they don't have a place to store that. It ends up bouncing around in their brain. Uh, and if it's not stored well, it will just continue to bounce around and create uh, neurotransmitter connections that are inappropriate and cause a lot of mood shifts. So, you know, the deal is a child or an adult can be treated therapeutically. I use EMDR. EMDR is eye movement desensitization uh, processing and what that does is that allows the brain to reprocess the event and make it a window between the event and, and actually what happened. They remember the event, but it doesn't have the emotional effect. So that's our show. You know, I uh, hope this helps covering molestation. There was a lot of content here. I hope I didn't go too fast. So listen to Absurd Psychology next Friday at 1 p.m., 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time and uh, 1 p.m. Pacific. Our next show is going to be a very interesting interview show on psychic psychology, energy skills for life relationships. I have two special guests that you're going to love. This topic is extremely important. It is about energy. The universe is made up of energy. We are made up of energy. These folks work with energy, and we're not talking about Ghostbusters here. We're talking about people that work with auras and chakras. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Love to hear from you. Get your feedback at Twitter, dr at drgbmft. Now remember, marriage allows you to annoy, annoy one special person for the rest of your life. And also remember, shopping is better than sex. At least you're not satisfied. If you're not satisfied, you can exchange it for something you really like. <laughs> Have a great week. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.